good morning. It is good to be with you today. Uh, obviously, we've talked a lot about how today is the last day of the year, which also means that we are just exiting the week, the week of chaos, where we don't know what day it is, we don't know what time it is, we just know that we keep eating things, lots of things. Um, those cookies, yeah, that sounds good for breakfast, you know, something at two o'clock in the morning, that's fine, um, and so on and so forth. Uh, even the NFL wasn't sure what was going on, so they had Monday Night Football last night, so I don't know. Um, though they should have just gone for the extra point. Uh, So my theme this morning is uh, one that I think hopefully will speak to you, uh, and it is this, used by God, being used by God. Uh, And we start this morning, not in general, but with a very specific individual, a woman named in the Bible's book of Joshua, and her name is Rahab. Brian referenced Joshua chapter 4 just a moment ago. Uh, the time when the Israelites enter into the promised land, and Rahab's story enters in basically first in Joshua chapter 2. Spies come into the land, uh, and and they, um, or forerunners, if you will, people who are scouting out the territory, and um, they kind of get perspective on things before the troops head in over the river. Um, If you know anything about Rahab's story, you know that it is... um, uh, has some adult content, so I just will name that uh, this morning. So if you want to look or follow along, it may be on the screen as well, um, Joshua chapter 2, uh, listen to the story here of Rahab. <clears throat> then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered into the house of a prostitute named Rahab, and they stayed there. And the king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab, bring out the men who came to you and entered your house, because they have come to spy out the whole land. But the woman who had taken the two men and hidden them, she said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they came from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, um, they left. I don't know which way they went. Uh, Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. But, the Bible tells us, she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax she had laid out on the roof. So the men from Jericho sent out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. Before the spies lay down for the night, She, that is Rahab, went up on the roof and said to them, I know the Lord has given you this land, and that a great fear of you has fallen on us, so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We've heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea when you came out of Egypt, what you did to Sion and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear, and everyone's courage failed Because of you, for the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family, because I have just shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and my mother and my brothers and my sisters and all who belong to them, and you will save us from death. Our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell us what, if you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. 
So she let them down by a rope through the window, for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. And she said to them, go to the hills so the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourself there three days until they return, and then go on your way. Now the men had said to her, this oath you made us swear will not be binding on us unless when we enter the land you have tied this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you have brought your father and your mother and your brothers and your sisters and all your family into your house. If any of them go outside your house into the street, their blood will be on their own heads. We will not be responsible. As for, as for those who are in the house with you, their blood will be on our head if a hand is laid on them. But if you tell what we are doing, we will be released from the oath that you made us swear. Agreed, she replied. Let it be as you say. And so she sent them away, and they departed, and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. Will you pray with me this morning? Lord, I ask this morning that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So, quite a story there in the second chapter of the book of Joshua. Um, a story that's pretty straightforward in one sense. You could easily turn this into a you know, children's church lesson or something you would turn into probably an HBO PG-13 R-rated um, uh, episode of something here. Um, we have a basic story of victory, if you will, but we also have something apparently darker. So let's talk turkey first to be basic, if you will. Rahab's most notable feature, what she's often remembered for, is the kind of controversial thing we tend to keep in mind when she is mentioned. She is, to use the old language, a harlot, a woman of the night, a participant in the world's oldest profession. She is, as the scripture tells us, a prostitute. I was looking at a commentary or two in preparation for speaking this morning, uh, and uh, one commentator does try to soften the um, appellation by which she is named and says, quote, she is, the word means occasionally or professionally committing fornication, unquote. Um, but even then, the commentator still says, basically, she's a prostitute. And so the word we get in English, and we understand what this is, has generally been this. And if you know something about Rahab, this is one of the things, maybe the main thing, maybe the only thing that you know about her. And this was my experience, too, um, knowing the Bible a little bit and, and, and growing up in church. And so at one point during school, uh, we had to write a paper about um, Rahab and to talk a little bit about her and, and, and what she was about. And so what I decided to do, good Christian that I am, I said, well, look at what God does. God takes these sinners, these horrible people, and God redeems them. Amen? God does. God does this. God takes sinners like us. And God's, God redeems them. He redeemed me, he redeemed you. And so I wrote all about how this heathen, prostitute woman gained salvation, even though she was kind of like opportunistic and her faith was really fake. She was just going with the power and all of that kind of thing. And in a sense, I mentioned that she was delivered out of the sin of prostitution. And I submitted this paper and I thought, man, I've done a good job here. This is a gospel word. This is good stuff, right? Look at me. And I, 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 got, I, got, I got my least favorite experience in school, which is where I got not even just a bad grade. They said, you need to rewrite this. I said, what? I don't want to rewrite this. I already wrote it the first time. Come on. You know, my least favorite thing. So, and I, I kind of began to wonder, like, what are they talking about here? They said, well, 
Did you look more closely at the story? Did you see what she's saying? Does the, does the scripture ever, ever, I mean, the scripture describes her as a prostitute, but does the scripture say that her faith is opportunistic? Well, not necessarily. Does the scripture say that she's this big sinner that God is redeeming? It doesn't say anything about that specifically. Look closer at the story. Try to figure out some more of the angles of what's going on here. In other words, my professor wanted me to look closer at this story. And I invite you to look closer at it this morning as well. Because as we approach the story that we've just heard, we can look at it in some different ways. And there's at least three ways to see the story. The first is, as I said, if you will, the children's church version, the PG version or the G version. And that's where we know two chapters later, the people are going to cross that river, are going to take those stones. They're going to do all of that that Pastor Brian just talked about. And this is in the context of the global scale of the book of Joshua, which is all about God fulfilling God's promises to the people of Israel. There's going to be blessing. You're going to... Is there Harry Potter in the room too? Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, where am I? Um, uh, oh, uh, there's going to be blessing. There's going to be opportunity. There's going to be all sorts of things. And this is the story of how they go about that. And there's no reason to linger on the fact that she's a prostitute. There's no reason to linger on anything else except to say this is one more step in God's redemption, or God's, um, God's blessing, if you will, or giving to Israel the land that he had promised. And that's the version you probably would get downstairs right now because we don't want to go into all that other stuff. And that is true. That is absolutely what is happening here. There's another version, of course, uh, the one that I kind of focused on, if you will, a little bit more in that paper that I wrote those 20 years ago, which is uh, on the personal level, if you will, of some spies and Rahab herself, protection for those individual uh, men that are there in the city, and the redeeming of sinners, people that are, that, are, that, are, that are engaged in sin and broken. This is what God does, and God saves Rahab, even though she is the most unlikely person, you might think, to be in this situation. This is what God does. God reaches down, God takes us and sets our feet on solid ground, as the song says. And of course, that's true as well. There is another way to look at it, though, and one that I think my professor challenged me to, and, and that is, well, something else, something maybe new. A third way, if you will, and it takes us back to the word uh, that I mentioned earlier, the word prostitute. When you hear that word, it conjures something, no doubt, in your mind. Um, uh, sometimes a uh, former way to describe a prostitute in uh, language is a fallen woman. Um, we think of prostitution, we think of sin. We think of a seductress. We think of this image of someone who is wantonly engaged in some less than ideal behavior. But what, perhaps, if we looked at it differently. I know that right here, just a month or two ago, my friend Lisa Rusi was here. Uh, some of you may remember, she actually worked with me at Northwest University, was one of our professors there. She came from the mission field in France, taught for us for a few years, and as you know, and some of you, I think the church is supporting her, she's going to be going back there to engage in ministry in the country of France. And um, a few weeks ago when she was here, she talked about the work that she is going to do. Uh, and the work that she is going to do is working um, with victims of sex trafficking in France. And she, she, she is there in those places, places that we cannot even imagine, places that actually she has never even described to me because I think it is just too intense. But she goes there and she, she ministers to, to women who are caught up in this industry. Women who did not ask for this. 
Women for whom this was not really a choice, that were trafficked, that were taken, that were pressed into this labor, and then whose self-value and self-worth was so low that they had no other option by which to survive. Uh, there's a video that was a little intense that I declined to show you this morning, but it describes prostitution in some cases as a choice of those with the fewest choices, the choice of those who have faced abuse, um, sexual perhaps and otherwise, who have been taught that the value of women in just, is just in their value of sex appeal, whose families have been broken perhaps by poverty, by mental illness, by addiction. And when I was speaking about Rahab a few years ago, I actually emailed my friend Lisa, and I, and I asked her about Rahab, and she said this. She said, I would see Rahab, and this is not me speaking, this is someone who has worked with women in prostitution. So I quote to you an expert at the moment. She says this, I would see Rahab as a victim if she was success, a successful, mentally stable, self-made prostitute who just loved her job. Those women do not exist, by the way. She might have had motivation to aid the spies. But someone who is not happy with their status in life and possibly even in position of forced labor would be more likely to aid the enemy spy. I haven't done any research into what prostitution meant for Rahab. I just personally believe that prostitution is never a choice made by an evil woman. Instead, it is usually a last resort for survival. Prostitution is soul-destroying. Most women who are in prostitution long-term describe thinking themselves as two persons in order to cope with life and also they suffer from PTSD. Well, well, that's another view of her, isn't it now? That's another view entirely. Rahab was who she was. The word we have is prostitute. There's no doubt about that. There's no hiding that. She traded intimate human interactions for money. This is what she did. And for me, and maybe for some of you, that's all we can see at first. God took this wanton sinner and redeemed her ways. And God showed that he can do anything, redeem anyone. He identified with our fallenness and brokenness. One might also say that God used her to make a point. Look what I can do. Look who I can save. But what if what we actually have here in Joshua chapter 2 is a victim? A person who, yes, is caught up in sin, but not sin that she's choosing willfully every day, but someone who's been broken herself by the sin of the world. A person looking to grasp onto whatever she can to make it through and to survive. Here's another way of looking at it. Rahab has been, possibly her entire life, been used. Rahab had been used, possibly her entire life, used by men for whatever they wanted. Can you imagine this? And now here, in this story in Joshua chapter 2, men seem to be using her yet again. Now, there is debate about why these spies to choose to spend the night at the prostitute's house. There is the most obvious answer which I'll let you answer in your own head, there is possibly that they went there because nobody would look for them there because it was a good place to hide, maybe. But the most obvious answer is, well, you know. And so there they go. 
And then, of course, she hides them up on the roof, whether she does it of her own free will or they ask her to hide them, I don't know. But they're making use of her house. They're making use of her roof. They're making use of the flax on her roof to hide under away from the king of Jericho and whatever and whatnot. And so they're using her for protection at least. Maybe in that first night something more, and we don't know. But then we also have her here. Men showing up again looking to hide, looking for something else, looking for what they can get out of her. And so she says, well, <laughs> you know, maybe it's time for my, me to have my own moment here too. Maybe it's for me to have my own time to get a piece of what's going on here too, this, what, this, this deal that I'm in. And she cuts her own deal. Okay, guys, you're going to use me to get what you want? I'll use you too. Protect me and my family. It's a fair trade, right? I won't let you get captured and killed. You protect me. You save me. Now, she makes this statement of trust in God, and I'm not going to question that, but she also wants God's agents, these spies, to know what her terms are, very specifically. She doesn't want to go until they've done the handshake and made the deal and the whole thing. And so in this story then, before we even get to Rahab's moment with the spies, we know that as a prostitute, she's likely been used many times, She's being used right here, but then she uses the spies too. She sees they're in a weak situation. She sees they're in danger. She's like, oh, let me take advantage of this. And so there's a lot of this using going around. Of course, it's not over in this story. Because she's also being used by God, whether she knows it or not for a purpose, and for a reason. And most immediately, of course, God is using her to protect his people. Not only these two spies, but ostensibly what the spies will communicate back to the people on the other side of the river so that when they cross over, that they will have a safer and more strategic entry. Rahab is being used by God. And many times here in church, we Christians gather together, we talk about our calling or our purpose or vocation, if you will. And we can talk about being used by God. And when we say that, we mean something very positive, right? I want to be used by God. I want to be used by God. I imagine you want to be used by God as well. And God used Rahab, no doubt. But when we take the word used out of the context of church, it takes on those dark overtones we've already been thinking about this morning. Think about it. When do we really talk about being used by people in any way that is positive? Oh, that family member is just using you. That boyfriend or girlfriend is just using you. Your boss is just using you. Your coworker is just using you. That's not a positive thing. Not at all. Or perhaps much worse, the way someone in Rahab's line of work could be used. It carries on a sense of being exploited, right? Being taken advantage of. It puts us in the position of being an object that somebody manipulates that somebody uses, that somebody pushes around on a board. It's a cliche, but it's true. In our world, hurt people hurt people, and hurt people use people. This is a fact of life. And so there's a way to read this story, <laughs> you want to be really dark about it, 
Great, someone might say. She's being used again here, except this time she's being used by someone even more powerful. She's being used by the most powerful entity in the universe, the being, the person, the one we know as God. So some people might say, well, that's just a dark reading of the story. But the question might emerge to some, is God using her to get his way like so many other people did before? Does God care about Rahab or does he just care what she can do? Does God use people like people have used Rahab? That's a question. Does God treat us as objects just to move around on his divine board? Or is there something else going on here? It's a fair question, I suppose. Maybe it's one you've thought of before. Maybe it's one that I just caused you to panic about because you never asked that question. Now you're frustrated with me. I don't know. But there it is. Does God use people like people have used Rahab? I'm not going to say yes because I don't believe that's true. I don't think he does. But here's the difference. There's a kind of reversal happening here in the way that the world picks up something, uses it, and throws it away. And the way that God takes us from where we are and restores us and sets us to a different path, our truest path, our best path. Because, you see, in the moment, it all looks very technical, right? God uses Rahab to save these spies so that Israel can go in and conquer this land. Clean and fair and good. Um, Rahab's life and her family's life gets saved, kind of as a bargain, kind of a trade, okay. Uh, the story could end there, right? The story could definitely end there. Um, but it, 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 it doesn't entirely uh, because, and you may have read this scripture or heard it even here in church just a few weeks ago, but um, if you look at the Gospel of Matthew, um, one of those boring parts of Matthew, and it is a little bit. Um, it's the genealogy of Jesus, a list of names. And so many times our eyes can skip over this, but it talks about uh, the genealogy of Jesus. It mentions a bunch of names, including Solomon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. And of course, we know who is the descendant of King David. And so, what does God do here for Rahab? Well, yes, he works through her. He uses her to rescue his people in that one moment, in that one time, in that series of years described in the book of Joshua. But he also works in her and works through her and uses her to save you, to save us, to bring Jesus into this world, someone we've been, whose birth we've been marking quite regularly this past week and these past few weeks. It's like an unimagined dream that Rahab might have had. She could never have imagined that, that in this moment of being, in this moment, a person who had always been used, being used by God would lead to this kind of outcome. All she wanted was her family to be saved in this moment. That's all she wanted. That's all she ever asked for. Even that was probably risky. The spies might have said no, and she would have been out of luck. They might have lied to her and gone off and killed her anyway. All she ever wanted was just not to die. And in return, God gave her and her legacy more than she could ever have imagined, more than she ever could have asked for. 
Who would have thought to say, hey, God, will you make my ancestor or my descendant the savior of the universe? No, nobody's going to ask that. And yet God does that for her. So, maybe you've been used, maybe you've been broken, maybe some things are because of choices that you've made, maybe not, maybe you're the victim, but people just treat you like you're guilty and it's all your fault anyway, I don't know uh, what that situation is. And the world and the people in it want to use you for it, you want to use you for its, their selfish purposes and that's it, it's a transaction, it's a withdrawal, it's a diminution, as we might say. And hearing about God wanting to use you at first, well, what does that mean? Maybe you're nervous God wants to use you. The story of Rahab tells us that God's use of us, how he makes us new for his kingdom, for his purposes, and also purposes truest to our heart. God's use of us is an investment. It's a building up. It's a freeing. It is using us for what we are truly made for. God's use empowers and it delivers, and it releases. God's, or people's use can bind us, and God's use, it can free us. God has something new for you that maybe you haven't even thought of yet. He has something for you that is new, and that is real, and it's true, and here as we stand on the precipice of a new year, it's a great time to think about that. This long year, <laughs> the world may have torn you down and used you and destroyed you. But in this coming year, <laughs> even in the last waning hours of this year, God can empower and deliver you. Broken, hurt, sinful people use people. But God isn't one of those broken people. He's not. He never will be. God uses you, you are safe. If God uses you, you are in good hands. If God uses you, you are loved and a door is open to a greater future than you can imagine. As we come to close this morning, we have a chance to respond. I think there's at least two ways we can think about God saving and healing us. First of all, and you know this, from our own active mistakes what the scripture calls sin, the decisions we've made or the broken situations that we have created ourselves or helped create. We have hurt others. We've hurt ourselves. We've hurt our relationship with the God of the universe. We feel like there's no hope or no hope of starting new. So if you're here this morning and you need that sorted out, you need forgiveness, First of all, we all do. And second of all, it's available. God is here. Have you made mistakes? Well, we all do. And God is here. God can and do and will do a new work in your life, a new start. God can use you. Or perhaps like the situation Rahab may very well have been caught in. Do you just need deliverance? You didn't ask for this situation. You weren't even the main cause of it, or you weren't even the cause at all, and you want freedom. Are you tired of being used, tossed aside by a world that doesn't care 
maybe friends or family, work, addictions, circumstances. The invitation is to come and meet the one who will make all the difference. God can use you. Sin, wherever it comes from, foisted upon us by others who use us, decisions we make, wherever it comes from, it destroys. Our sin destroys us. The world's sin destroys us. Whether from within or without, it is a mess. But when God works his purposes in your life, he fulfills, he redeems, he restores. He sets us on a better path than we could have ever done for ourselves, a better path than we could imagine. You bow your heads and close your eyes this morning. If you're here this morning, you would say, yeah, I've made some bad choices, especially this year. I have some things that are not sorted out. I've made some mistakes. I've done what the Bible calls sin, and I need to ask God's forgiveness and help. And I want, I want God to not only forgive me, but to use me for something bigger. If that's you this morning, I'd just like to see your hand. I'd just like to pray for you this morning. If that's you, I'd like to see the hand. Thank you for those hands. Yes. But if those who have raised their hands, I pray that you would meet them in this place. If they have acknowledged their sin to you as I acknowledge my sin to you, Lord. We're thankful that when we confess our sin to you, I ask your forgiveness, you meet us in that place, God. Just begin to minister to those this morning who have raised their hand and have, have confessed that to you this morning. And for others of you here, Are you tired of being used and thrown away by people? Are you just tired of it? Are you broken by it? Do you feel like you're in a box that you can't find a way out of? Trust this morning in someone that loves you. If you're here this morning and you feel like you've been used and you've been broken and you've been beat down, raise your hand this morning. I would like to pray for you this morning. I would like to pray deliverance for you this morning. I would pray, like to pray God's freedom for you this morning. If you felt used, you felt taken advantage of, broken by others. Lord, I pray for any here who are in that spot. Lord, any here who need that freedom, any here who need that deliverance, Lord, I pray that you would bring that deliverance by the mighty, powerful name of Jesus. Help us all, Lord, to trust in someone who loves us. For all of us here this morning, I invite you to stand with me today. I'd like you to look at me this morning. This is a great time to ask God to do something in your life. This is a great time to ask how God can use you. Because though it's artificial, yes, it is the turn of a new calendar page. You're going to be writing that date wrong for weeks on whatever you date. And it's here. It's coming. It's a new year. We start new things. I want to pray for you this morning. And as we worship, I want you to pray. And I want you to ask God how he can use you in this year. Yes, for blessings that you can imagine and you can see, but also for things far beyond what you could ever hope for. 
far beyond what you could ever expect. Far beyond what you may even ever see, but future generations will. Lord, I pray for those here. I pray your blessing on them. I pray, Lord, that you would use your people in this church, in this community, in 2024, for your kingdom, for your glory, for the work you are doing here in this place and this time in 2024. Friends, let's seek after God as we worship together.